food is political. Access to food is political. Good food is political. This is The Raw Idea. I'm Jim Kearns of Raw Idea Media, and welcome to our initial podcast. The voice you just heard is Chai Mishra. He's the co-founder and CEO of Move Butter, a San Francisco online grocery startup that hopes to make the farm-to-fridge movement a reality on a massive scale. Their model is based on finding small and local suppliers throughout the U.S., offering their customers high-quality and organic food at prices far below grocery chains and delivering at no charge those selections fresh in specialized delivery bags. All in all, Move Butter wants to, quote, make better food accessible and affordable to everyone, end quote. And thus, the politics come into play. Chai Mishra, Move Butter co-founder, is here to explain how this will all be accomplished. Chai, welcome to The Raw Idea. Hey, Jim. Well, thanks for having me. Let's start off with a quote, making better food accessible and affordable to everyone. Quite a lofty goal. Very ambitious. I'm wondering, how do you do that? Now, when you think about that, when you think about that goal, um, make good food accessible to everyone. Uh, we, have a, we have a term in the, in the team that we call infinite access. And when you think of that in terms of, uh, of the existing supermarket model, it really starts to make a lot more sense. Um, when you look at where all of the money and the time and, the, uh, and then the food goes, uh, when, when, you, when you buy something from a supermarket, you start to see it as a, an extremely inefficient, extremely exploitative system. When you, when you go to the supermarket and you spend, let's say, $100 on something, $81 off of that are going to the middlemen, the marketing, the overhead of running that store. Only about 19% of that, $19, are going to the value of the food. Um, so when we look at the value chain in that way and when we really break it down to see, well, what is going on today? And then say, all right, well, how can we make this better? Things become a lot easier. So the way in which we view Move Butter, we think of it as the supermarket of the future. We think that there are critical flaws with the existing supermarket model. They waste a lot of money, they waste a lot of food, um, and they breed inequity. When we think about building Move Butter, it's about removing those flaws, building an entirely new model. Uh, now, what does that look like in practice? So we found the greatest suppliers in the country, and our objective has been, well, how do you take their food and bring it down to a price point that anybody can afford and distribute it through means that anybody can access. So we find the greatest suppliers in the country, the greatest producers, family businesses that have been doing this for 40, 50 years. Um, then we find a way to get their food directly to the consumer. No middlemen, no overhead, no physical stores. These are all costs that the customer covers today with physical grocery stores, and we can take them all out. Historically, and of course today, food is political. And one of the things about quality organic food is that it's traditionally a lot more expensive. If you go into a supermarket, it always seems to be 25 to 50% higher than non-organic. And the bottom line for that seems to be, if you don't have the money, you eat the stuff that's being sprayed and a bevy of health issues can ensue. Now, this is a bit oversimplified, but how can you deliver organic and quality food to the mass population at a yeah. reasonable cost. And I, I, would really, I really would believe that if, um, when you and I have this conversation again in five years, that if at that point we haven't done anything about the problem of food access, or if we haven't been able to meaningfully enter food deserts, then we'll be failing on our mission. That's the whole point of the company. It's about infinite access. So let's talk about that. And you, I, think you, I think you said something that's very apt. Food is political. Access to food is political. Good food is political. I'll, so I'll make it even more political. Um, when we look at this, we look at what is going on with the neighborhoods and what, which are the neighborhoods that aren't getting access to it, right? San Francisco is a good example of it. 
You look at it, all of the good and the decent food in Northern California is getting pushed into tiny pockets in places like San Francisco and Marin. And for the most part, these tend to be the richer areas. At the same time, you cross over that white bridge and you go over into Oakland and it is one of the worst food deserts in the country. That's what makes it political. That you could cross a bridge and go from a place that has an absolute surplus of every type of food and everybody's having fantastic conversations about, about concepts like organic and non-GMO and granola, important concepts, but at the same time you cross over the bridge and people don't even have access to the very basic items. So when we started off, we got oppositions from two separate groups. We got, or we had to overcome two separate challenges. One was a group that just said, all right, well, just get any food to communities that don't have any food, right? Any food at all. It doesn't have to be organic. It doesn't have to be non gmo It doesn't even have to be good. Just get them any food. And they have a point. And then we got opposition from this other group, and we, we heard those voices where they said, oh, you know, if you're, if you're selling food that's not organic, if you're selling food that's not you know, non-GMO, I just can't support this. And those things rattled around in our heads for quite a while, and we thought about it. And the fact is, way I look at it, those are not mutually exclusive concepts. We will have failed our goal either way. If we get out to communities and we're able to bring them food, but that food isn't good, that food isn't healthy, then we failed our objective. One of the interesting aspects of what you are doing is your ability to deliver fresh food anywhere in the country. So if you are, let's say, in Rhode Island and want some California arugula, it's possible. Um, I'm wondering how you're able to ensure this freshness and thus, you know, able to also delivered a food desert. This is the part of the company that took us the longest time to develop. There's a lot of proprietary packaging and technology that goes into it. Um, basically, if you look at the way the pack is built, it's actually acting like a tiny freezer. Um, and the, the top of that pack, the top of the box that we ship is acting like a tiny fridge. Uh, we've built this entire setup such that you can ship any kind of perishable good in it to anyone in the country, and it can stand outside in the sun, in the snow, for up to 72 hours. So the whole point is that we're, it, it starts off at the source. Find the best supplier, the highest quality item that has spent no time on the shelves. Get it as fresh as possible. Use the best packaging possible to make sure that it doesn't go bad and get it to the consumer as quickly as possible. Make sure that everything around the food is as rugged and as sustainable as possible. So when our food shows up at a customer's doorstep, I know that regardless of if the customer is in Georgia or if they're in North Dakota, the food's going to stay. The food's not going to go bad. Uh, so I think there are parts to it. The first part is definitely finding the best producer. The second part is finding the freshest items. And the third part is building the packaging and the technology around that food. That's how we ensure that if you're in Rhode Island, we can still get you better arugula than what you can get you know, at the bodega down the street. Let's talk about that food in regards to selection. You are kind of the antithesis to the everything store. Now, what's the thought behind carrying a limited selection? Well, our whole core philosophy is a few good items. That's the point. So you're never going to feel as if the selection is limited. What we've done is where we're able to cut out so many items is by taking out all the useless branding and the marketing. Now, let's, let's take a bigger picture view at this. The average supermarket holds 50,000 items. If you look at what customers are actually buying, 80% of the sales of the average supermarket, so what is that, 40,000 items? 80% um, of the sales are coming from just 20% of the store. So you're saying that 80% of the sales are coming from just one-fifth of the store. If you take a strong, hard look at that one-fifth of the store, and it's exactly what you'd expect. 
It's your staples, right? It's a meat section, it's a produce section, it's the dairy section. Now you look at that staple area and you actually remove for all of the differences that just aren't there, right? So you remove for all brand-based differences, you know, 49 brands of peanut butter, butter 35 brands of, of cheese. You say, all right, well, you know what? Whipped, whipped cheese is whipped cheese and I'm just gonna get the best version. I don't need 35 brands uh, that aren't even good. So you remove, you only focus on the fifth of the store that customers actually buy from. Then you remove for all brand-based differences. You remove for all marketing-based differences. Something's called Goopy, another one's called Chunky. You remove all of that and you get down to a core distilled, condensed uh, list of items. These are the staple items that customers are buying, the best version of it. That's what we sell. All right, let's talk about that core distilled, condensed list of items specifically. Absolutely. As I was saying, we focus on the biggest staples. What that means in practice is that we have a full-fledged meat section, a dairy section, a produce section, uh, a pasta section, pasta sauce section, all of the very core items you buy. If you look at the top 100 items sold in American supermarkets, we hold every single one of those and we hold multiple versions of those. So it's exactly what you'd expect, the classic traditional American staples, all the way from ground beef and bacon to brie cheese and gouda cheese and, and sourdough bread, all of that. Fresh produce as well. We sell fish, seafood, all the way to, uh, to cut up vegetables and, and cut up berries and fruit. So exactly what most people buy, what 85 to, if you open up your fridge right now and what you're going to see, the stuff that does not change week over week, that's what we sell. 85 to 90% of your grocery list that does not change. Let's talk about how this looks from your supplier standpoint. What has the reaction been to your outreach? If you think about these suppliers that we're working with, these are mom and pop businesses. They've been around for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And up until now, they've been limited to one city. Somebody's out there making the greatest granola in the country, and they've never been able to step outside of, of Willamette Valley in Oregon. Never been able to step outside of it. And suddenly, we partner with them, and we're able to take them from just being in one city in one state to all 50 states. Our relationship with them is really built around access, very similar to our relationship with customers. It's about them having a special item, something they've perfected, a craft that they've gotten so good at over the years, us partnering with them and bringing them to the world. So the way they look at us, they really think of us as a, as a launch pad. They really think of us as, uh, as, as a megaphone where we're able to bring them out to everyone. Um, and then beyond that too, now if you talk about it just in purely business terms, um, the having one brand means a lot. Going out and finding one supplier and only holding his items means a lot. Uh, let's compare the two scenarios. One scenario would be that a hundred people walk into a store, any supermarket of your choice, um, to buy pasta sauce. And at the same time, 100 people go on to my website, movebutter.com, and they try to buy pasta sauce. What happens in those two cases is very different. When you go into any supermarket and you send 100 people in to buy pasta sauce, those 100 pasta sauce orders are getting broken down across 20 different suppliers. So on average, the average supplier is getting about five orders. But then at the same time, when a customer goes on to movebutter.com and 100 people buy pasta sauce, all 100 of those orders are going to the same mom and pop family enterprise out in, uh, out in Oakland, California. That changes everything. Now, now, the fact that you work with just a few suppliers and the fact that you don't have that many products makes me ask the question, what happens when you have exponential growth and 
all of a sudden you've got, you know, 70,000 customers in Idaho and 30,000 customers in Iowa, are your suppliers going to be able to keep up with that? And what are your plans logistically to keep up with, with that kind of growth? When we talk about infinite access, that's not just limited to the customer. So when we look at these suppliers, I believe that it is my duty on a personal level and it's my company's duty to make sure that those suppliers can scale. We've found people who have caliber, who have talent. And if the only thing standing in the way of getting their incredible food to the country is some logistical challenge, then we'll work with them. Every single supplier we work with so far, we've set up the packaging line. We've helped them uh, figure out how to label items, figure out how to, how to ship them, figure out how to put together a pallet. We've done that for them already. That's the kind of power that we have that we want to bring to every single supplier. So it, it's through and through. It's about working with them every single step of the way. We don't think of ourselves as traders. We're not buying something and flipping it for, uh, for a buck. We really think that it's about finding incredible people, getting their story and their food out to the world, whatever we have to do to make that happen. Now, I'm guessing that you've heard this comment probably in focus groups or just in general feedback that you've received. That is that I love the convenience, but it's food. And I want to be able to see it, to touch it, to smell it if I'm going to buy it. What's your answer to those tactile folks like myself? Well, my answer is I feel you. I'm one of you. But at the same time, I believe that online lets us give people deeper, richer information. Sure, you can't smell the peaches on Move Butter just yet. At least let's see what virtual reality lets us do. But, you know, you can't smell the peaches just yet. But I can tell you so much more about that peach I can show you things in the lifetime of that peach and the person that grew it that an offline supermarket can never touch. I can show you a video of the farmer talking about how he grew that peach, about how he got that specific cultivar from his grandfather. I can show you that. I can show you how much money he makes. I can give you the entire breakdown. So I completely agree. I think there are parts of the experience that you get offline that you just cannot get online. But at the same time, Online is a beautiful medium. You can give people richer, deeper information. That arguably, I believe that we can create a much more engaging experience for food online than anything that has ever existed offline. Now, I'd be completely remiss if I did not mention the big elephant in the supermarket, and that is Amazon's recent acquisition of Whole Foods. And I'm wondering, in your opinion, how does that impact the entire grocery industry? And for that matter, how does it impact your company? So it's been great for us. I'll start off by saying that. Before I... Uh, before I start with the negative things, I'll say this. It's been very helpful for us because what it's done is you now have dozens, possibly hundreds of supermarkets in the country that just realize that online is the way to go because you have two giants, Amazon, which is trying to become Walmart and Walmart, which is trying to become Amazon. And anyone that isn't either Walmart or Whole Foods or Amazon is now scared. They have nowhere to go. So I've been getting calls nonstop from a number of the supermarkets who just realized that e-commerce is a thing and they want to work with us. So I'll start off by saying that. That is my disclaimer that it has been good for us. But at the same time, it does bother me. I'm saying this purely as somebody who's been working in food for a number of years and I, I care about the industry. It bothers me. Not for any kind of antitrust monopoly reasons, none of that. It bothers me because to me it feels like a step backwards. To me, online lets us do things that offline never let us do. And this, coming from the company that built e-commerce, com coming from the company that always said that nothing mattered to them more than customer experience, this seems very off. 
This seems wrong. Offline will always have worse economics, worse experience, and worse ethics than online. And when the biggest e-commerce retailer in the world starts to move offline, I think that's I think that's a bad red flag. Okay, let's get back to your raw idea, move butter. The next two years, if you and I talk in 2019, where do you feel your company will be headed? Well, firstly, we'll absolutely talk again in 2019. Um, and secondly, um, I think it's really just about getting out into the communities. So, you know, as I said, we're all, we already have customers in all 50 states. Uh, so it's not really a question of expanse. It's not really a question of scale. It's about, it's not, it's not horizontal growth. It's, it's going deeper into those communities, serving them at a greater level. So the idea isn't changing anytime soon. It's the vision is still infinite access to food where anyone anywhere should be able to access any food. So what we're going to be doing heads down for the next two years, for the next 20 years, is really finding more and more incredible suppliers, making their food more and more affordable, and finding customers who really, really need that more than anyone else. That is our entire activity. So two years from now when we talk, what you'll be seeing is, of course, we'll still be in all 50 states, but you'll be seeing deeper and deeper penetration in those markets. You'll be seeing entire communities, an entire neighborhood that shops with us, an entire neighborhood that had no access to supermarkets before and now suddenly is able to buy groceries through us. That's what you'll see. And you're going to see all of the food we sell get even better in quality and get even more affordable. That's what we'll be doing for the next In the case that you may have piqued some interest out there, which I'm guessing you probably did, uh, if the customer orders today, how quickly will that order be filled? In cities like San Francisco, we're actually doing same-day delivery. In some cases, we're doing same-hour delivery. Um, and in the more in more distant parts of the country, you can still get it uh, within the week. You can still get it uh, depend- between five or seven business days. Um, so you pick it now. And how most customers use it, again, we're, we're selling staples. So, you know, these aren't really impulse purchases. Most people are buying their whole grocery list off of this. People are spending $120, $150. They're buying it. Um, and then they just rest assured they know that they're going to get it on a given day. Um, so again, depends on where you are, but if you're in one of the major cities, you can get it same day. If you're in one of the more distant areas, you can get it between five to seven days. Chai, it's been great talking to you. How can people get a hold of you if they need more information about Move Butter or if they just want to ask you a question? Uh, my personal email is chai at movebutter.com. I try to respond to as many as possible. It's starting to get tough. Um, but reach out to me anytime, chai at movebutter.com. Chai is spelled exactly like the T at C-H-A-I at M-O-V-E-B-U-T-T-E-R.com. Chai Mishra, co-founder and CEO of Move Butter, a San Francisco online grocery startup. Thanks very much for being here. I'm Jim Kearns, creative lead here at Raw Idea Media. I want to thank you very much for tuning in and have a great day.